0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Progressive Magazine, The Young Turks, Democracy Now, This Week in Blackness, The Tom Hartman Program, The Majority Report, Radio Dispatch, The Jimmy Dore Show, On the Media, and Activism from the Unfuck It Up Project.
1: Welcome to America where we don't have freedom and justice for all. That's the only conclusion you can draw from the awful verdict in the George Zimmerman trial. The evidence pointed to manslaughter, and maybe the prosecutors erred by not charging Zimmerman just with that, but the jury said not guilty, even on that, and Zimmerman now walks free. Had the roles been reversed, had an adult black man pursued and then killed a white teenager in the street, you can bet a million dollars that the verdict would have been different. The simple fact is, we don't have equal justice in America today, 50 years after the March on Washington. What we have instead is a system of justice that is racist to the core racist in who gets arrested, racist in who gets charged, racist and who gets convicted. You might think that Zimmerman got away only because of Florida's Stand Your Ground law, which is a license for vigilanteism. But consider the case of a black woman named Marissa Alexander, also in Florida, who fired warning shots into her wall to try to fend off her allegedly abusive husband. She invoked Stand Your Ground, and she's now doing 20 years behind bars. It's impossible to escape the conclusion that here in America, we have one system of justice for white people and an entirely different one if you're black. It's beyond sad. It's sickening. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
2: (laughs) Now, originally, when uh, the George Zimmerman situation came up, obviously after he shot Trayvon Martin, the problem wasn't necessarily Zimmerman. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, to me, the great injustice was what the cops did. Now, you had a 17 year old black kid who was unarmed, shot by this guy named George Zimmerman, who took it upon himself to do some sort of watch in his community, whether it was authorized or not. But, okay, things go wrong, you get into fights, they go south. And then you're going to figure out if what Zimmerman did is right or wrong. But what the cops decided to do was not to do a toxicology report on Zimmerman to see if he was high or drunk or if he'd done something wrong, which is what you usually do when someone shoots someone, right? And they didn't do a criminal background check on him. Instead, they did something really unusual. They did a criminal background check on the 17 year old kid who was shot. They did a toxicology report on the kid who was shot. To me, that was the outrage. And they did not arrest Zimmerman for. Forty-four days. To me, what that said was the authorities, the government responsible there in that local community assumed that Trayvon Martin, the 17-year-old African American kid, was guilty. And that he what, he had a coming? I guess if you say the guy who shot him was justified, so justified I won't even arrest him, and I won't even investigate his background, you're saying I thought the 17-year-old kid had a coming. That's what we were mad about. And if they had looked into Zimmerman's background, what they would have found that it turns out that he had been arrested for assaulting a police officer. Could be relevant in an investigation on whether you arrest a guy who's just committed an act of violence where he shot a kid in the chest and killed him. And he was the one pursuing the kid, and we all know that because he called it in, and on dispatch you have him saying, I'm going to go. And I'm following him and dispatch saying, don't do that. Now, those are two critical pieces of information. Then you would have also found out that he had been suspected of domestic and accused of domestic violence by a former girlfriend. You would have also found out that a younger female cousin of Zimmerman had accused him nearly of two decades of sexual molestation and assault. And that, that same cousin of Zimmerman, cousin of Zimmerman, said that in the family they constantly had racist talk where Zimmerman's mom, for example, the Peruvian, the one that he gets all the credit for making him Latino, would often talk derisively of African Americans. But he didn't do any of that investigation. That's what we were mad about. Now you go to trial, and a trial is what it is. You have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Now if you looked at that trial, and you didn't see every minute of it, the jury did, right? And we got a jury system, and to a large degree we have to trust. If you want to change it, that's a separate matter, right? So if you say to me after the jury trial, look, you weren't there, You weren't there when Zimmerman and Trayvon got in the altercation. You weren't there for every minute of the trial. And apparently the jury thought that he was not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. It doesn't mean he's innocent. It just means by law they couldn't prove that he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. I hear you. I understand. I I don't agree. I think it was a clear case of manslaughter. But I understand what you're saying is a perfectly reasonable argument. But if you then go further and say, oh, Trayvon definitely started the fight. But wait a minute, I thought you said I wasn't there. We weren't there How would, that I can't possibly know. Well, then how do you know Trayvon started the fight? Unless you assume the dead 17-year-old kid is guilty, and Zimmerman must be correct. But why do you assume that? Why do you assume that? So now, I, originally I was mad at the p- police and the authorities. Zimmerman is who he is. You know, You can make any judgment you like, and the jury decided he was not guilty. But now I'm more mad at the people supporting Zimmerman. Uh, Like, the guys who made me livid were the ones celebrating the acquittal. What are you celebrating? What are you celebrating? Ha ha, he killed that 17 year old kid and got away with it? Is that the celebration? How do you know Zimmerman didn't start the fight? My God, he was clearly the aggressor. You have to be either stupid or biased not to understand that. Look, Gary Young wrote a great article in the Guardian. Pretty much nailed exactly what I was thinking. He said, "Look, let's review the things that are indisputable." He said, "Quote: Zimmerman pursued him armed with a nine-millimeter handgun, believing him to be a criminal about Trayvon." Martin resisted, and that's what the Zimmerman fanboys love. Oh yeah, Martin resisted. He shouldn't have resisted. Now, what is he supposed to do? Look, I got to be honest with you. I got a black godson right what am I supposed to teach him that if anybody comes up to you and they chase you whether you know they have a gun or not and they're stalking you are you supposed to beg them immediately are you supposed to arm yourself what are you supposed to do are you supposed to fight back not supposed to fight back if you fight back he can execute you and then everybody assumes you're guilty if you don't fight back maybe he executes you anyway he's the one stalking you Does anyone believe that Trayvon Martin got, went into Zimmerman's home, was like, hey Zimmerman, come on out. Because I'd really like to have you follow me with a 9mm gun, and then once I'm scared for my life, something goes wrong, and then I, I know I don't have any weapons, and I'd like to give you that enormous advantage in that fight. Please follow me through the neighborhood as I go to my dad's house. Who believes that? You can't possibly believe that unless you're enormously stupid or enormously biased. I'm being kind by saying biased. I won't be so kind in a second probably. So Zimmerman shoots him dead. Then Gary Young makes another great point. He said, there is no doubt who the aggressor was here. Now, how can you say Trayvon was the aggressor? You have the call, you have the evidence. Zimmerman called it in saying, I'm following him. Dispatcher says, don't follow him. He follows him, he's got the gun. Did Trayvon think, I'm going to take on a gun, I'm going to go out, look to see if there's a night watchman, and if there is, I hope he's got a gun, because I'm not armed, and I'd love to pick a fight for them. Now you have to be monumentally stupid or biased to believe that. Gary Young says, what version of events is there for that night in which Martin gets away with his life, or is it open season on black boys after dark? And that's the thing I go back to, and as I think about my godson, what am I supposed to tell him? What could he have possibly done? I know what, uh, again, the Zimmerman fanboys who disgust me said. Because Zimmerman is a whole different thing. He got in that altercation, and maybe he's the world's largest wimp, and he got scared for his life after he started the fight and shot the kid, right? But if you're a fan of Zimmerman, you're a special kind of sick. It's one thing to say the jury system worked. It's another thing to be excited and happy about Zimmerman, right? So as I think about... Zimmerman following Trayvon, and if Trayvon is my cousin or anybody, or, or you're a black family out there, you got kids out there, they're 17, they're 19, whatever they are, they, you know what, they're human beings who go out at night. What are you supposed to do, shuttle them in, put them in the basement? If you go out, the fanboys say, no, as Zimmerman is chasing him down, Trayvon had the temerity to fight back some other. But they're convinced that the insanity, the insanity of this defense, as Zimmerman said, I can't believe anybody ever believed this. Now, you can believe everything else. Again, not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. I understand. But you really believe that Zimmerman is chasing him, as we have taped evidence of. He's armed. He's chasing him. And then decides mid-chase, nah, forget about it. I'll go back to my car. And then Trayvon, and we have evidence of the call where he's saying, I got to run, etc. And by the way, Zimmerman, speaking of whether he had any racial bias or not, said he had to follow Trayvon Martin because he was moving unusually slow. Now if you're moving unusually fast they say he's running from something. Well, he must be a burglar, he must be a thief, he must be a thug because he's running from something. If you move too slow, you're also a thug. Gee, I wonder if it's the slow or the fast moving or perhaps the kids race. Oh, I know. I'm the bad guy for bringing up race, right? But The fanboys of Zimmerman say, No, we know, we know Zimmerman in mid chase must have turned around, gone back to his car, and then Trayvon, who wasn't armed, decided that he was gonna ambush, he was gonna turn the chase around and ambush Zimmerman. How could you possibly know that? And how stupid are you that you would believe such a flimsy, ridiculous excuse? Now, if you say, Hey, listen, Zimmerman went after him, they got in a fight, Trayvon got the upper hand, that we don't know. That's reasonable. If you say Trayvon chased him down and you know it, You're either stupid or you're biased, but far more likely, let's keep it real, you're racist. Because you make the assumption, and this is the most important thing, and if you've ever called Trayvon Martin a thug, or you know someone who's called him a thug, guaranteed that person is a racist. You don't like it? Oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, he said racist. Why do you call the kid a thug? Why do you call the kid a thug? He's a 17-year-old, he's not armed. We got Zimmerman's brother talking about he could have been armed. Your brother was armed. Your brother's the thug. Your brother's the one that took the MMA training. He's the one that looked for a fight that night. But you call Trayvon a thug? The only reason to call him a thug, the only reason to assume that everything Zimmerman said is true, even though it doesn't make sense, is because you think, well, he's black. He must have been a thug. He must have started the fight. That's because you're racist. It's not to say that, hey, if the jury can... It quits them, they're racist. No, it doesn't mean that. There's a lot of different ways to go. But if you're celebrating Zimmerman and you're saying that Trayvon is definitely a thug, that's exactly what you are. And finally, Young nails it. He says, let's go back to what Zimmerman said on that dispatch call. He said, referring to Trayvon Martin, fucking punks, these assholes, they always get away. And ironically, that's exactly what happened, but not with Trayvon Martin. With George Zimmerman. If you don't understand why we have a sense that there's no justice today, you're not paying attention because you don't want to pay attention. You only want to see things from your own perspective and you don't care to see how African-American families and other families in this country think about, Jesus, how am I going to send my kid out in this world? You don't want to see that and I need you to look into your own heart and soul and look into the mirror And see why am i thinking these things i know you're going to be defensive about it if you're in that camp and you have that view but just for a second assume just think why did i assume trayvon is guilty why did i believe everything zimmerman said when the facts are one guy was the aggressor he had the gun the other guy was a 17 year old kid you can say he's large etc etc but the reality is the cops made assumptions that night the authorities have made assumptions all throughout this I, and I'm for the eighth time I'm not blaming the jury because it's beyond a reasonable doubt, that's a different standard, right? But the people who love Zimmerman are rejoicing in this. Why are you making your own assumptions? Don't kid yourself, you know why.
3: The South politician preaches to the poor white man. You got more than the blacks don't complain. You better. You've been born with what skin they explain, and the Negro's name is used it is plain for the politician's game as he rises to fame and the poor white remains on the caboose of the train, but it ain't him to blame, he's only a pawn in our game.
2: America.
4: We need to show America enough is enough. enough is enough. Leave our youth alone. Leave, Leave our youth
5: alone. As a young black man, me walking the street, me walking the street, I could be seen as a criminal with a deadly weapon. Because as they said, the, the concrete was a weapon to this young man. The concrete was considered a deadly weapon to this young man. So it just, it harms me to feel like I, me walking the street is not, is not safe. I'm not safe walking the street anymore.
6: I have a son. It's very difficult because he sees it and he's already had dreams about it. And he's already had dreams about the man following Trayvon. He's He woke up and told me, Mom, I saw him following Trayvon. So, I mean, he has nightmares already. So that's just a part of what we have to go through every single day. And I don't think this country realizes what we go through as a black people and how we feel every day. And having our kids go out, we don't know if they're going to come home. And it saddens me. My heart is broken.
7: This is something that can happen to anyone's sons, whether you're black, whether you're Latino, whether you're Asian. Anyone can be taken. It's about someone else saying that their lives mean more than yours. I had this feeling in my stomach in my gut, and it felt like, I don't know, it felt like it was my son. I cried. My name is India and I'm with my daughter Kennedy and it's important because I'm trying to show my daughter where we live and the country we live in. I don't want her to think that all people are bad, but I have to let her know that there are some people out there who see black people, brown
4: people, people who are different from them as less than they are and it's not right. So I try to explain
7: to her This was like the perfect example. We watched the trial. We watched it every day. It was like homework. After camp, we sat down and we watched it, and each individual day, we talked about it, and I discussed it with them. I'm here
6: for Trayvon Martin, for all the young black men, and for everybody, for all of the people. It's not even just about being black. It's for everybody.
4: We still today want justice. We still today want justice. And we will not be satisfied until justice
7: is obtained. And we, we will, will not, not be satisfied if justice, justice until is obtained. No justice, no peace. You rig the
5: system, you make it blind. With slime of hand, you cheat the people
7: every time. Grab a
8: power and won't let go. But you're gonna pay you gonna
9: know. The only the two options you had, second-degree murder or manslaughter, you felt neither applied.
10: Right. Well, because because of the heat at the moment and the stay on your ground. then I mean, he had a right to defend himself. If he felt threatened that he, his life was going to be taken away from him or he was going to have bodily harm, um, he had a right. In, so in even the,
9: though it was he who had gotten out of the car, followed Trayvon Martin, that didn't matter in the deliberations. What mattered was that, fi- those final seconds, minutes, when there was an altercation and whether or not, in your mind, what, what the most important thing was, whether or not George Zimmerman felt his life was in danger.
10: Well, that's how we read the law. That's how we,
11: so, for everyone who was saying, you don't know what was going on in there, you don't know what happened, what about now? <laughs> what about hearing that woman directly say, right there, that that's what happened? We didn't, we, uh, like, that nothing else mattered. All Everything leading up to that, the, the type of person that Zimmerman was, suspicion, none of that mattered. At this point, I'm going to argue, remember when I said that I, I don't think uh, DOJ has an argument? I, maybe Maybe I was wrong. Because if you're telling me in all of this and all this how the law was applied here, there was no there was no looking about how it what led up to it, what 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 happened, why it happened. It was only about that moment, whether or not he was scared. And you ask this jury, do you think that he was scared in that moment? Was uh, and was uh, defending himself? All that means is that the jury has to think that the person who was there was scary enough. Hence, the scary Negro defense. That's all that matters. If you can make, if you can make enough doubt about that person, about would you, might you ever be afraid of this guy? I mean, come on, look at him, huh?
9: He's scary. So that was the belief the jury that you had to zero in on those final minutes slash seconds Mm -hmm. about the threat that George Zimmerman believed he faced.
10: That's exactly what it happened.
9: So whether it was George Zimmerman getting out of the vehicle, whether he was right to get out of the vehicle, whether he was a wannabe cop, whether he uh, was over-eager, none of that in the final analysis mattered. What mattered was those seconds before mm-hmm. the shot went off did George Zimmerman fear for his life.
10: Exactly. That's exactly what happened.
9: Do you feel that George Zimmerman racially profiled Trayvon Martin? Do you think race played a role in his decision... His view of, of Trayvon Martin is suspicious.
10: I don't think he did. I think just circumstances caused George to think that he might be a robber or, or trying to do something bad in the neighborhood. Because circumstances, like circumstances. what?
9: Circumstances, yeah. like what?
10: What? What
11: circumstances might you? What would happen that 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 an unarmed kid walking home with ice and
9: skittles is now a a a robber or a burglar?
11: Just, to, I, I, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to hear
9: that out. Why do you think George Imran found Trayvon Martin suspicious then?
10: Because he was cutting through the back. It was raining. Um, he said he was looking in houses as he was walking down the road, um, kind of just not having a purpose to where he was going.
11: And hey, you know, if you're a Negro walking down the street, you must have purpose.
8: Yeah, you got to walk. You got to get to where you're going, son.
11: Yeah, you must, you must have purpose. You can't just, you can't walk, just walk down the street. You must get where you're going because otherwise, how do we know Uh, uh, that you're not dangerous? May
5: may I suggest, and I, and I hate to say it, but when I, when I walk down the street, if Trayvon's not from there and it's a gated community, there are plenty of people, I I do the same thing. When I walk through a nicer neighborhood than what I live in and I just walk slow and I will look at people's houses. (laughs) I, I hate to say it. I will literally do that. I don't, that's why I, people say he was being suspicious. He was looking at people's houses. I go I do the same thing I didn't know that you were supposed to get shot for that I had no idea I look i when I'm in a nice neighborhood people have you know kind of nice I look I observe people's houses I, I can't help it
11: uh, I've been I, doing it I've been doing it since we've been walking through Berkeley yep we're walking around it's nice uh, nice nice area I it's saw, like, someone, oh, look, I saw stuff
5: I saw someone's house with a waterfall in it in Clinton Hill Brooklyn waterfall what so you know and I and apparently I should have been shot in the back for making that observation while I'm on the song walking past it I don't know. I I I I guess I apologize to those people as I invaded their privacy and was a general civil menace, uh, you know, a domestic menace I, I apologize.
9: Well, did, w- w- was that a common belief on the jury that race was not that race did not play a role in this?
10: I think all of us thought race did not play a role.
9: So nobody felt race played a role. I don't think so. None of the jurors.
10: I can't speak for them. You, I'm not. That their wasn't voice. part of the g-
9: discussion in the no. jury room.
10: No. No, we never
11: So, the idea that the child was profiled because of race was never a discussion in the room. Well, you know,
8: it would have been a discussion in the room. If there were some black people on that jury, I'll tell you what.
5: Well, they were also, we're in a post-racial society. Why would, why would, why would someone be profiled if there's no more race?
8: President Obama's protecting us all from the white man, you know, for whom we blame all our woes. Had that
10: discussion.
9: It didn't come up What that. The question of did George Zimmerman profile Trayvon Martin because he was African American?
10: No, I I think he just profiled him because he was the neighborhood watch and he profiled anybody that came in acting strange.
9: At first, I didn't
11: see this. Like I said, I didn't see it last night. I I, I started watching uh, the clips today because I I, re, I realized it was our job to uh to cover it. Uh, and after because uh, at first I I saw some tweets, but I didn't. But they weren't they weren't really breaking down the 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 depth of the issues that's happening here and but finally I watched it and I heard it I was like holy holy shit!" I don't I don't even know I don't even know how to respond to this like at first and then the more and more i I, I listened to it and the more and more I looked at it Because a lot of people were like they hate her and they were calling her all sorts of names uh, and I've always said that uh and, and, and a lot of it has been a, a bit misogynistic and I've always said that there's no reason you don't fight uh, injustice with re- misogyny or racism yourself, it doesn't make sense. I, I I, that's not I understand that you might be angry. that's just not how we do things. That's not how we should do things. Uh, so calling her all types of bitches and Cs and all types of stuff it just doesn't make sense to me. It's not yeah. necessary
1: me neither
11: but and and flat out, I said directly, I can't hate juror b thirty seven I said but I can hate the system that would put her put my life in her hands, her ignorant hands. And I think that's valid. And the more, like, I would argue that I, I, I'm even making, I've made the argument today that specifically this might be the best thing that could have happened. I, 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 my, my, uh, the literal thing I wrote was I believe Jura B37 giving this interview is the best thing that could have happened. Uh, she is like a magnifying glass. The system is broken, and I believe listening to her and listening to her words and having that conversation. I feel as if, like, forget. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even angry with her. And I know that might sound crazy because people are angry. People are yelling at her. I'm not angry at her. I believe that she is a product of America, and for and like, I it, it, to 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 focus my anger on her directly would be a waste of energy. I believe that to focus my anger on the system that creates this woman is what needs to happen. The system's broken. It creates people like this. You want, you put people in a room that are supposed to be able to make these decisions, but they don't even understand the very construct around what, what these things that are happening. We talk about race on this show so much. And we break down these things so often. And we bring in the brightest minds in the goddamn country to lay it out. And so we, we look at things a little bit differently. But the fact is most of society does not and yet they are the ones making these decisions how can you how can you expect empathy for a people when america doesn't understand the very construct that the people live in
12: My rant for the day, as I said, I'm just I'll just summarize it here for you is that there are two standards of justice that were presented in the Trayvon Martin case. Ever since a uh, Seminole County, Florida grand jury found George Zimmerman not guilty on Saturday night of murdering Trayvon Martin. Many commentators in the mainstream media have made a special effort to point out that Florida's so called stand your ground and shoot first law played no role whatsoever in Zimmerman's acquittal. Um, do you have this uh, Chris Cuomo clip? Yeah. Here, for example, is a clip of CNN's Chris Cuomo. Ah, discussing or dismissing stand your ground's impact on the case during a Sunday broadcast less than a day after the jury announced its verdict.
9: Stand your ground. We all talk about it. It did not play a role in this jury's verdict. They didn't need to use that law. wasn't even argued.
12: Yeah, Chris is just wrong. Stand your ground isn't some standalone law. It's a complete modification of Florida's rules governing the use of deadly force for self-defense, and as a result, it played an essential role in the Zimmerman trial. In fact, two different standards were used. They weren't created by the standard ground law. But two different standards were used by which the six just ju- jurors judged both George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. As f- former Florida Secretary of State Dan Gelber has pointed out, pre- Jeb Bush, pre- Coke brothers and pre- Alec Florida of law Florida law would have required the following instructions to be read to a jury in a self-defense murder trial: "Quote, the defendant George Zimmerman cannot justify the use of force likely to cause death or great bodily harm unless he used every reasonable means within his power and consistent with his own safety to avoid the danger before resorting to that force. The fact that the defendant George Zimmerman was wrongfully attacked cannot justify his use of force." Likely to cause death or great bodily harm if by retreating he could have avoided the need to use that force. And quote, "That's the old law. that's the old jury instructions. Note that according to those jury instructions, the defendant has to do everything possible, including retreating before attempting to use deadly force. When confronted with a threat in 2005 and before, whether it was a deadly threat or just the threat of violence. Or even when confronted with actual violence, like being punched in the face or knocked to the pavement, the legal obligation was to work yourself free and run. All that changed in Florida in 2006 when the state's brand spanking new and Alec promoted Stand Your Ground and Shoot First law came into effect. Since 2006, post Jeb Bush, post Koch brothers, post NRA and Alec, The Stand Your Ground and Shoot First concept has become fully integrated into Florida's law regarding self-defense and the use of deadly force. Which is why the jury instructions for Zimmerman and for his jury included Stand Your Ground language. Because that language is now part of Florida's laws about self-defense. I mean, listen carefully to this. This is the difference between the You Must Retreat language, which I just read to you in the pre-2006 jury instructions, and the instructions used in the Zimmerman trial. Remember, before two thousand six, Florida law said that even if the other guy started the fight, you still had an obligation to run. The old law reads as follows: "Quote: The fact that the defendant was wrongfully attacked cannot justify his use of force likely to cause death or great bodily harm if by retreating he." This is the old law. If by retreating he could have avoided the need to use that force. By comparison, here are the two stand your ground instructions that actually were read to the Zimmerman jury. Quote The danger facing George Zimmerman need not have been actual. However, to justify the use of deadly force, the appearance of danger must have been so real that a reasonably cautious and prudent person under the same circumstances would have believed that the danger could be avoided only through the use of that force based upon appearances george zimmerman must have actually believed that the danger was real george zimmerman had no duty to retreat and had the right to stand his ground and meet force with force including deadly force if he reasonably believed that it was necessary to do so to prevent death or great bodily harm to himself. George Zimmerman did not even have to have a threat of deadly force used against him. All he had to do was believe that there was such a threat. And instead of running, he could stand his ground and shoot first to kill, which is what he did. Even more interesting than that, though, is that both in the actual Zimmerman trial and in the trial conducted in the American media, both Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman were essentially on trial. In the courtroom proceedings, Trayvon Martin was being judged as part of Zimmerman's self-defense argument. The defense asked, why didn't he run away from Zimmerman? And because Martin didn't run away, Zimmerman's lawyers suggested that Zimmerman was justified in killing him. This was so explicit in the trial that defense attorney Mark O'Mara even asked for four minutes of silence during his closing arguments, as if to demonstrate that Trayvon Martin had plenty time to turn and run.
13: We're going to take a break, but before we take a break, um, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to sit tight, and we're not going to talk. And I'll tell you when we'll talk again. Okay. That's how long Trayvon
5: Martin had to run. About four minutes.
7: When he said it was running, that's how
12: long. And in the media trial of Trayvon Martin, commentators have repeatedly asked why didn't the 17 year old just run away from the armed man who was chasing him? You know, as one of Florida's most famous white pastors, Bill Keller, argued in a nationally published op ed, quote, The facts were clear that Trayvon Martin had more than enough time to get back to his father's house, but chose instead to confront Zimmerman, break his nose, and continue the violent attack. End of quote. In other words, Trayvon Martin should have run away. So the question Why was Trayvon Martin judged, both in the trial and in the media, on the basis of the pre 2006 Florida self defense law? That requires a person to do everything they can to avoid violence, up to and including running away. And equally troubling, if that was the standard that Trayvon Martin was held to, why was George Zimmerman, who actually held the gun and fired the shot, held to a different standard and allowed to stand his ground and kill an unarmed teenager without penalty? Remember, nobody ever seriously suggested in the trial or in the media that Trayvon Martin had a right to stand his ground. Instead, everybody wanted to know why he didn't run. And remember that over and over again in the media, George Zimmerman's lawyers and Judge Nelson herself explicitly said that George Zimmerman had the legal right to stand his ground and use deadly force if he even felt threatened. While Trayvon should have run, Zimmerman didn't have to run. Remember the actual instructions that Judge Nelson read to the jury about the standard to which George Zimmerman should be judged? George Zimmerman had no duty to retreat and had the right to stand his ground and meet force with force, including deadly force. Why were George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin judged by different standards? Inquiring minds want to know. On my I should not be
11: moved
3: like a tree, he's turning
13: Tana Hasey Coates has a, uh, a great piece up from uh, yesterday, I guess it was. And he makes the argument, and part of the reason why. I didn't follow the machinations of the trial per se because, in some respects, it's trials are 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 messy things, and the intricacies of a trial do not necessarily are not even designed to necessarily find the truth per se, and to provide a a, a greater lesson for society. I think there is a lesson to be learned here, but it it's far beyond what the trial is. And Todd Hacy code says the first uh, the two things that he has seen in terms of truth that did come out of the uh, the case is that based on the case presented by the state and based on Florida law, George Zimmerman should not have been convicted of second degree murder or manslaughter. The second is that the killing of Trayvon Martin is a profound injustice. And his piece is about reconciling those two things. And he outlines how self-defense in this case, when you are adjudicating self defense, at least in this case, I think the only place uh that it may be different in the entire country is in Ohio. There's a, a slightly different standard. In terms of proving self defense. Because in this case, the prosecution had to prove, the defense did not have to prove self defense. The prosecution had to, beyond a reasonable doubt, show that this case was not a case of self defense. That the moment of adjudicating self defense, whether or not George Zimmerman acted in self defense, happened after the first punch was thrown after the scuffle began and we don't know it's almost impossible to know at this point we know what the the court has decided but we don't really know what happened once they got into a physical altercation but everything that led up to that point is moot in terms of self defense the following the targeting the menacing the fear that was created with trayvon martin none of that counts in this narrow question of self-defense and under florida law george Zimmerman had no responsibility at any point to retreat the state had to prove that zimmerman had no reasonable fear for his life and that's a very hard bar threshold to achieve uh, now supposedly stand your ground had nothing to do with this case but uh... tana you know makes a point of saying that the judges Instructions to the jury included the phrase, He had no duty to retreat, and he had the right to stand his ground and meet force with force, including uh, deadly force, if he reasonably believed that it was necessary to do so to prevent death or great bodily harm to himself. To overcome George Zimmerman's er, presumption of innocence, the state had the burden of proving. The crime with which George Zimmerman is charged was uh, was committed, and George Zimmerman is the person who committed the crime. George Zimmerman is not required to present evidence or to prove anything in this case, because of the reasonable doubt standard. Tanya Hasey Coates go on to write: "The injustice inherent in the killing of Trayvon Martin by George Zimmerman was not authored by a jury given a weak case." injustice was authored by a country which has taken as its policy for the lion's share of its history to erect a pariah class the killing of trayvon martin by george Zimmerman is not an error in programming it is the correct result of forces we set in motion years ago and have done very little to arrest and that is that we have as a class demonized black males in this country from stop-and-frisk to racial profiling to the way that they are portrayed in the media to the idea that you can get stopped by for driving while black society has still and i imagine it's simply been an ongoing project that perhaps in some small measure has declined over the years but we still as a society automatically classify black men as a threat and when you have laws like stand your ground even if it's not necessarily directly uh involved in this case you're creating an atmosphere that allows people to act upon that racial animus and it is always the least enfranchised in our country that will suffer when you have a law like that that's the low-hanging fruit, essentially, for injustice. And he writes at the end, it's painful to say this. Trayvon Martin is not a miscarriage of American justice, but American justice we itself. This is not our system malfunctioning, come. it's our system working as intended. We
4: shall
8: really highlights the fact that uh, what what Eugene um, uh, Robinson said in his Washington Post piece, which is black kids, black boys specifically, aren't allowed to just be kids. They are seen as menaces. They are seen as weaponized with a sidewalk. Um,
7: there, yeah, and, and I think that Omera's point specifically is that, uh, <laughs> is that whether he means it or not, that black boys age out of um, the even the capacity to be a victim, yeah, somewhere around thirteen or fourteen, depending on the growth spurts or whatever.
8: Yeah, and to do that, you have to you have to strip them of their childhood, right? Exactly. So like, the, like black teenagers aren't seen to be children. Um, Uh, even though, I mean, I don't know what Mark O'Mara looked like when he was 17, but I'll bet that he looked like a kid, you know, and just like Trayvon Martin looked like a kid when you see pictures of him, you know, that were very, very, uh, recent. Um, and yeah, this, this, the, the, you know, it's, it's like, it's like O'Mara defined this window that, which is, you know, four years at twelve, okay, he's a kid. In the span of four years, he has he has been uh, taken, you know, taken out of that, turned into this aggressor. And you know, people often people were commenting a lot that that the Zimmerman trial, one of the most horrifying aspects of the Zimmerman trial, was that it seemed like Trayvon Martin was on trial uh, mm-hmm. for his own death. Um, and the you know, it seemed like the humanity of Trayvon Martin was. Was in trial. The humanity of Trayvon Martin was in question. It was completely, I think, stripped by the uh, words of the defense team. And I think that, I think that uh, it's important to like connect to, to 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 take those steps back, take that four-year step back, and think about the fact that he was a, a, a small child, you know, four years ago. Twelve-year-olds uh, are kids, and um, you know, and uh, to. Recognize that part of part of what's at work when we, in, in not when we, when part of what's at work in the kind of structural uh, devaluing and dehumanizing of black children, black teenagers, black boys, but also black girls, um, you know, black trans folks, what, like you know, blackness, black bodies that scare white people is not only what's at play in the act of. Um, dehumanizing them is is erasing their ch- is taking their childhood away.
7: Yeah, because and-
8: childhood is innocence. Childhood is you know is you know the idea that that George Zimmerman was so, was afraid of a ch- so afraid of a child that he had to shoot and kill him is ridiculous. That's like laughable. So we had to to take that away from Trayvon Martin. He couldn't be a child. Right. He had to be a menace.
7: Well, and again, this, this, uh, only, it, it only works in a way if, um, it, if it's not about a body changing. Like, I think that, again, there's, it's sort of couched in this objective language of, well, um, boys' bodies do change from 12 to 16, 12 yeah. to 17. And it's, it's, it, uh, the argument is presented in that way, in a way where you, it's sort of like, how can you deny that a body changes, uh, that a boy's body changes? We had
8: this cardboard cutout of Trayvon Martin's body, you know. But
7: it's, it's not about somebody's body changing. It's about, it's about, um, it's about them growing into the identity that, that our society has shoved them into. Right. Yeah. And, and it's about, it's, it's to just keep returning to this Richard Cohen thing because it's such a perfect example. of He says that, that, um, wearing a hoodie is a uniform that we all understand. Uh-huh. And that's exactly, that's exactly the point. It's not, um, it's, it's not that, it's not about the, the biological changes that happen to Trayvon Martin. It's about him going from the last possible point where he could be considered uh innocent to this identity that is that is um grafted onto him yeah. by society and by design. Right. And it's and and to couch it in some sort of language of biology or something, I think is just is is really insidious. There been
3: So the prosecutor and the lead prosecutor in this case also uh, just as horrible, turns out, as the defense team was. As horrible as far as uh, bad at her job, A, she's horrible that way. Uh, be also horrible as far as not knowing how to handle something when you lose a murder trial when a 17 year old kid is murdered and it's your job to convict the person who did it and you lose you should feel badly and you should apologize Mm -hmm. to the victims Mm -hmm. well let's see if she does see what she does here she goes we have done our best to assure due process to all involved And yes, considering our police department is full of racist (laughs) a-holes, we did a great job. (laughs) Hey, there, there is justice in Florida if you're a redneck psychopath. Okay, here we go.
4: We have done our best to assure due process to all involved. And we believe that we brought out the truth on behalf of Trayvon (laughs) Martin. (laughs) Okay,
3: so she started off. Here we go.
4: Our hearts, as always, go out to our victims' family.
3: Okay. You're sound, sounding a little like you're saying this by rote a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. As always, our heart goes, as always, what what am I supposed to As always, that's right, my heart goes, yeah, uh. The sing-song voice m- means that you're sincere. Yeah. Our, uh, as always, our heart goes, it gets worse. Go
4: out to our victims' family and all victims of crime.
3: <laughs> all victims of crime everywhere. was taking a chance.
4: Can you- <laughs> Could you, pro-
3: could you possibly make this apology sound less sincere? Or our hearts go... It's not even an apology. Our hearts go out to the victim... And all victims of crime... Could you make it less... Make it more generic? Is yes. Is there a way you can make it more generic? Is Thank that- you. That's the word I was looking for, yeah. I think she's passing the buck.
4: Always go out to our victim's family and to all victims of crime. But as long as they know that there will always be prosecutors fighting for the truth, I think that victims will continue to rely on this justice system.
3: I think that I don't think so. I think the victims uh, are going to try to switch to Comcast what? <laughs> for their for their justice system.
4: What are you talking about? Well, what victims
3: are going to continue to rely on our justice? Of course, they're going to continue to rely. Where else are they going to go? What to- other
12: justice system? And she's uh, saying referring it, to? and
3: she's smiling. Yes. She's smiling, and yes. she's smiling for the same reason why I smile when I'm having a bad show mm-hmm. in in a, in a bad club somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I'm smiling when that happens because I'm getting paid either way. <laughs> <laughs> she gets paid exactly the same. She gets paid exactly the same. You win, you lose, you get paid the same, right? <sighs> We are sorry that your son, daughter, or husband (laughs) have been killed in this (laughs) murder, stabbing, accident, robbery, (laughs) other, other. Our hearts go out (laughs) to the victim victims, or groups of people who may have been injured. How do (laughs) do murder victims choose their... I don't understand what the hell is a murder victim going to choose. Going to choose their justice system? We thank you for coming to our justice system. We know you have many justice systems (laughs) to choose from. thank you for coming to
1: ours.
4: The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white
2: lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat.
4: That's from a protest in Times Square last Sunday, the day after George Zimmerman was found not guilty of second-degree murder in the shooting death of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin. Protests like this occurred all across the country, mostly peacefully. In the streets, on the airwaves, and even in the White House, we are drawing conclusions from that verdict based on our own beliefs, our own experiences.
1: I think justice failed Trayvon Martin and the Martin family. They overcharge George Zimmerman, I believe, largely because of outside political pressure. There are very few African-American
6: men in this country who haven't had the experience of being followed when they were shopping in a department store. That includes me.
4: We've brought back Tampa Bay Times media critic Eric Deggins, who predicted last week that the issue of race in America, underplayed in trial coverage, would now rush to the fore. But since the public has only one side of the story of what happened on that fateful day in a Florida-gated community, Zimmerman's side, everyone is filling in the puzzle with their own pieces, shaped by sorrow or vindication, and acting accordingly.
14: In some ways, the circus is in town, man protests, threats of boycott, people saying this never should have been brought to trial in the first place. All of it is a reaction to the frustration that comes from not being able to really know what sparked the fight between these two people. And and that means we can't really put it in context. I mean, the word thug is becoming a polite way of saying the N-word. They're describing a certain type of black person who they feel is young prone to violence and crime some people feel their vision of what a thug is and what a thug means has been confirmed by a court and now they have a right to be suspicious of people like Trayvon Martin.
4: Race riots seems to be a bit of a
14: code too yeah I think uh, law enforcement would have been crazy to not at least say okay it's possible that some hot-headed people, might get out of hand if they get frustrated about this verdict and let's just make sure we're prepared for that. But to suggest that these people, quote unquote, are unruly and violent and that that's part and parcel of the ethic of people who feel that George Zimmerman should go to jail, that is unfair and prejudiced. It feeds into this idea that some uh, particularly conservative commentators have that we now have this, quote unquote, thug mentality that is uh, somehow seeking unfair recompense from the government or unfair attention from the criminal justice system.
4: And you said last week that once the jurors come forward, we might have some insight into how the decision was arrived at. And so far, only one has come forward anonymously on Anderson Cooper's show. We're going to play a little bit of that.
9: Okay. Do you think Trayvon Morton played a role in his own death? This is something he also... Oh, I
10: believe he played a huge role in his death. When George confronted him, and he could have walked away and gone home, he didn't have to to do whatever he did and come back and and be in a fight.
9: And the other jurors felt that as well?
10: They did. Four
4: out of five of the other jurors said, hold on, anonymously, right. we don't feel that way. So... What kind of insight can we derive from that remark?
14: This juror seems to have believed George Zimmerman's story, that George Zimmerman was justified in defending himself. And she also said during that interview that the state's stand-your-ground laws influenced at least her decision, and she believes it influenced the entire jury's decision.
4: So, here I want to bring in uh, Attorney General Eric Holder, who has been described, uh, at least in the Washington Post, as being the voice of the president on controversial racial issues. He was discussing stand your ground. These laws try to fix something that was never broken.
3: There has always been a legal defense for using deadly force if, and the if is important. If no safe retreat is available. But we must examine laws that take this further by eliminating the common sense and age-old requirement that people who feel threatened have a duty to retreat
14: outside their home if they can do so safely. George Zimmerman says that Trayvon Martin was beating his head into the sidewalk fighting to gain control of Zimmerman's gun. So if he's on the ground, he doesn't have the ability to retreat. And that's why Zimmerman's defense team said that Stand Your Ground didn't even need to be invoked. Holder is coming to the NAACP and saying, I sense your outrage about Trayvon Martin. Let's handle the Stand Your Ground laws. That's a wonderful thing to address, but it wouldn't have resulted in a conviction for George Zimmerman, I don't think. If you want to address that, then you've got to find something else. What can we do to change things so that that can't happen again? I wish we could have these kinds of discussions outside of the polarizing confines of a really, really controversial and frustrating verdict. I did a story that was on the front page of our newspaper on Monday about all of this. And some of the emails I got from people, it's like the the Zimmerman verdict let some people feel free to express their opinions about young black males in ways that were so prejudiced that it was really disheartening. Some people came to that column and felt like I was disrespecting the verdict, that I was demanding that the judge release those jurors' names. They took the argument I was making and amplified it because of their own prejudices.
4: I'll read the last line of your column, which sure. is incredibly inflammatory. You wrote, I hope the jury reconsiders their stance and talks to America about how they reached their verdict because damaging as it may be for them to go public, it may be the only thing which can help heal the country.
14: Shame on you, Eric. Shame on you. I know. But now it's a Rorschach test and people can come to that column and they can accuse me of all the excesses that I'm trying to resist because they're not really reading the column. They're seeing what they want to see. And that makes me wonder what happened when Trayvon Martin was Mm -hmm. walking home and did George Zimmerman see what he wanted to see? And, and how do we address that? Can we even address that in laws? Can we address that at all? The, the problem that we have with the Zimmerman Martin case ultimately is that on its face it seems to be a very simple issue. An, an unarmed black teenager was lawfully where he should be and he wound up dead. But the details of their confrontation and, and the most important fact that no one saw how that fight started make it a much more complex right. issue than we would have thought now two weeks three weeks a month two months from now but well, we still want to have these kind of conversations when everything's died down and we can really get down to brass tacks that's the question
15: President Barack Obama had a press briefing earlier today to give his reaction to the acquittal of George Zimmerman. We're going to get to a lot of different quotes, but first we've got video. Let's watch.
6: When uh, Trayvon Martin was first shot, uh, I said that this could have been my son. Uh, Another way of saying that is uh, Trayvon Martin could have been me uh, 35 years ago. and. When you think about why, in the African-American community at least, um, there's a lot of pain around what happened here. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that um, the African-American community is looking at this issue through uh, a set of experiences and a a history that, uh, that doesn't go away. There are very few African-American men in this country who haven't had the experience of being followed when they were shopping in a department store. That includes me. There are very few African-American men who haven't had the experience of walking across the street and hearing uh, the locks click on the doors of cars. That happens to me, at least before I was a senator. There are very few African-Americans who haven't had the experience of getting on an elevator and a woman clutching her purse uh, nervously uh, and holding her breath until she had a chance to get off. That happens often. And uh, I I don't want to exaggerate this, but those sets of experiences inform how the African-American community interprets uh... what happened uh, one night in florida
2: i thought this was uh... one of his bravest speeches in office uh... and and in a long time i was uh, actually surprised by it because he actually honestly talked about race uh... in a way that i thought at this point in his presidency he would be afraid to i'm being honest about how you know how i feel about president obama et cetera he did a great an amazing speech about race back when he was running for office in 2008 uh but ever since he's been in office he's been so cowed by what the right wing has said that i thought if he did a speech like this and he talked about his african american experience and that racism actually exists that his advisors would be like are you nuts yeah. do you know what fox news is going to say they're going to say you're you know riling up racial hatreds and you're a, you know what they say about sharpton and jesse jackson you're a race hustler you're a pimp you're this you're that and apparently no this is something that moves him and he you know decided to do this anyway.
15: Well, but they probably will still say that. I mean the the reaction from Twitter already is just a fire with conservatives attacking him saying he's the first racist in chief and stuff like that that he's race baiting, that he's trying to start riots and things like that. I mean you have to have oh. a pretty twisted mind to see that speech and think yeah. that he's encouraging people to like burn down buildings and murder people. Um, but yeah, I think that this is one of the areas where Barack Obama is—you know, this is one of the, the, the empathy, the compassion. This is what he's good at, and, and the fact that he can speak directly to the conversation that's going on right now in uh, Black America, partially because the NSA has been listening directly to that conversation. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's one one area where he gets it right.
2: He went further. He said, what? if a, if a white male teen would have been involved in this scenario, both the outcome and the aftermath might have been different. Okay, and then he said, if Trayvon Martin was of age and was armed. He could have stood his ground on that sidewalk. Could he have stood his ground on that sidewalk? If the answer to that question is at least ambiguous, then it seems to me that we should examine those
15: laws. And so it's not just empty empathy or compassion, he's actually tying it to the policies that allowed this verdict to be reached.
2: I'm again, I'm surprised yeah, Obama's saying this because they're re- it's really true. Yeah, well, and and he's going to get viciously attacked yeah. for saying how dare you say things like, you know, white people and black people in this country are treated differently. You know, the
3: thing was he was speaking from personal experience about when it's how a white woman clutches her purse in an elevator, you hear the doors click. Nobody can say that that didn't happen to him. He's saying those are my personal experiences. So you can't say that. And then you go, wow, that actually happened to the President of the United States. That could happen. So that does bring a whole new gravity. It frames the whole situation differently. And nobody, I haven't heard anybody make that point before. What if Trayvon Martin had a gun on that sidewalk? What would have happened then? He could have shot George Zimmerman because he was feared for his life. Have you heard someone make that point before? He would
2: have gone to jail for 20 years. Yes. Yes. Tavis Smiley said something interesting to Bill Bill O'Reilly. And he said... How come the NRA didn't come out and say, "Hey, this tragedy could have been avoided if Trayvon just but, had a gun?" Totally. Yeah. Right? They never said that. Ah. They say that in every instance ah. but not this one.
15: Yeah. And
2: then to have a Smiley made the point of, also say I made a couple of days ago where I said, okay, then if the NRA wants to arm everybody, and obviously Trayvon could have defended himself by NRA logic if he just had a gun, great, let's give every black male in the country a gun. (laughs) Okay, so you're all, and by the way, when Smiley said that to O'Reilly, and I love that he said it on his program, O'Reilly said, well, now let's not be extreme. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, I wonder if there's a difference to how O'Reilly views white gun owners and black gun owners.
3: Yes, and
4: how many?
0: Today's activism segment comes to you, as always, in partnership with the Unfuck it up Project, where creator Katie Goodman and director Katie Klebusic encourage involvement over apathy by highlighting people and organizations that are doing good for their communities and the world. Today's campaign, 50th anniversary March on Washington. Following the Zimmerman verdict, calls have gone out across the country demanding justice for Trayvon. As the discussion of the culture that created a George Zimmerman and the justice system that set him free expands, the number of issues that intersect only grows much has been made of the alex sponsored standard ground laws which contributed to the language in the jury instructions the widespread use of racial profiling by police departments is cited by activists and protesters across the country and the inherent disadvantage to anyone lacking the requisite privilege to avoid being seen as menacing is continuously discussed on social media No one action or event or petition can encompass all the factors which led to this moment in our history. It seems appropriate to heed the calls of Trayvon's parents from the July 20th 100-city Justice for Trayvon vigils. Sabrina Fulton said to the NYC crowd, If people can stand up for me, I can stand with them. I promise I'm going to work hard for your children as well. Let us lead you so we can change some of these laws." His father, Tracy Martin, said to supporters in Miami, "...senseless violence is a disease, and we as a people have the cure. We just need to come together." On August 28th, the 50th anniversary of the historic March on Washington is just such an opportunity to come together. 50th Anniversary MarchOnWashington.com is a hub of all the activity surrounding the planned commemoration. Marches are scheduled across the country, and the site's I Was There page already has dozens of personal stories from those who attended the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Visit 50th MarchOnWashington.com to participate in the discussion, get help traveling to D.C., volunteer, and follow the news surrounding the event. At the 100 City Justice for Trayvon rallies, civil rights leaders called for the rebuilding of a movement, a new coalition of allies from all walks of life and backgrounds. There was a recognition that we can be greater than we are, but that we must be dedicated, willing to withstand defeat, and able to persevere. Simply put, this must be more than one aspect. Find a way to get involved in your own communities and plug into the creation of a diverse and far-reaching effort to fundamentally broaden the scope of justice in our country. Links to today's campaign will be in the show notes and all the usual places. You can visit the Best of the Left Facebook page for this and other activism opportunities and to share actions for possible use on the show.
9: You probably didn't fuck it up But they, whoever they are, they fucked it up Oh, it's fucked up. Could you help unfuck it up? And then say, Are you
4: really so fucking busy? You can't take one fucking man's help unfuck it up.
9: Cause I'm willing to pick one thing to help unfuck it up. Won't you join me?
8: That idea of um, of the mainstream media not valuing the loss of Black life is something that you brought up in your piece at The Nation, um, and I think is is extremely e- an extremely important point in all of this because I think even though the this case has become so big, you also hear people saying, "Well, Florida, you know, Florida has." Fucked up laws, or Florida's full of crazy people, or George Zimmerman is obviously a white supremacist, but not not actually zooming out from um, you know from from the specifics of the case. And also uh, on top of that, then you know I've been I've seen some of the trolls that you've gotten on Twitter and people saying, well, what about black on black crime? And so I want to hear you talk about that and um, and go more into that um, this this important point that. Uh, that that Trayvon is just one one of many, many, many young black men, black also you know black women um, uh, who whose when the loss of their life is not valued by by the media.
16: Yeah, I mean Trayvon is emblematic of, of a system that is built on devaluing and dehumanizing black life. And then we start. We see it in you know Detroit with Ayanna Jones, the seven-year-old that was shot and killed as the police raided her home because they were looking for a murder suspect who lived in the apartment above her. And you know her, the, the killer in her case, the trial it went to a mistrial, the hung jury. Uh, you could see a Rakia Boyd whose family has had to sue the city of Chicago after a police officer shot her in the head and killed her after he thought you know, someone who was someone was reaching for a gun and he accidentally shot Rakia Boyd because someone he thought was pulling a gun did not have a gun. But yeah, her life is taken and no one is going to pay any penalty for it. Uh, and this is, I mean, this is, this happened over and over and over again. And I, I mean, you know, for the media, it's a thing where, you know, they won't, they don't cover the mundane, unless you're talking about horse race politics, because there's no uh, wow factor to it. There's no scandal factor to it. It's an everyday occurrence. And the belief that it simply is the way things work for black people. And it's not news. It is not newsworthy for people. And The people that that keep bringing up black-on-black violence um, and, you know, again, the people in those neighborhoods care very deeply. I care very deeply about black people killing black people because that means black people are dying in these streets. What happens is we have a system of justice that does not value those lives and does not seek to find those killers, does not seek to bring them to justice in a way that we would all like to see. It's not a matter of whether or not black people care. It's the system that we still do not have an equal stake in, that we still do not have any control over, that does not value our lives.
7: And what about the... Uh, the, I guess I'm not sure how to phrase this. What what about um, punishment for somebody like George Zimmerman in the age of mass incarceration? One of the things that that kind of came up when Molly and I uh, were watching the trial together was how strange it was to, um, to to sort of want the prosecution to put together a good case because usually that's just not how. I think I, I approach a defense a, a, a criminal case. And, and you, you touched on this in, in your piece at, at the nation too, but can you just sort of t- talk about uh, about the, the problem of mass incarceration and how we should or should not sort of want people to be punished for these crimes?
16: Yeah, as rooting for the prosecution. I mean, it found us all in this, you know, this place where it's the antithesis of our progressive politics. Like, we don't want people, we don't want more people locked behind bars. But I do think, you know, what we have to do is figure out a system of justice that brings us to true justice and you know George Zimmerman languishing behind bars for 30 years or life wasn't going to be justice as much as I wanted him held accountable I knew that what what the the punishment that he was going to receive wasn't going to solve the problem and the thing that killed Trayvon and so what we have to address is you know how our how our system of justice works how this this prison System works and do we need prison to bring justice? And I don't think we need prison. What I think is we need a system wherein we have true rehabilitation. George Zimmerman's punishment should be that he has to understand. Blackness, that he has to understand why he killed Trayvon, that he should should constantly be reminded of why he killed Trayvon and learn better and have to teach other people better. Like that would be a more appropriate punishment in my mind so that we were preventing these type of things from happening him being behind bars and you know the horrible treatment that prisoners receive where you know, he would go into solitary confinement and, and you know, we all know how what solitary confinement looks like and the, the psychological damage that it does to someone. I don't believe that's a punishment for any that's a, a just a punishment for anyone because it doesn't move us forward as a society.
8: And I guess you were you were just touching on this, but I guess as a final question and i don 't even really know what my question is other than you know what what now uh, what would be you know what ideally we already we saw amazing protests uh, last night uh, uh, all around the country, and you were there. maybe you can talk about that a little bit and um you know for for progressives uh, for Activists, and also just like what you said earlier, of the idea that you know the jurors just don't, white jurors might not think about whiteness and bias and uh, unconscious bias and that type of thing. And so, you know, if if moving forward, um, what are some of the things that um, you know that that? Journalists can do that. Activists can do um, that. Can so that we can try to capitalize on the energy that exists now um, in the wake of this trial.
16: Yeah, the the rally turned March last night. I mean, that renewed some bit of faith that I have uh, that you know we're not going to let this moment slip. We're not going to let Trayvon die in vain. Um, I I was speaking with a fellow contributor to the nation, Salamisha Tiller, who's an amazing black feminist writer, uh, anti, uh, anti-sexual violence uh, activist. Um, and she was telling me the story of Nina Simone because she's writing a, a book about Nina Simone. And after the bombings in, um, in Birmingham that killed the four little girls, Nina Simone went to her shed and she was trying to make the gun. She was just trying to put together a gun because she said that she wanted to go out and shoot someone. Like, that's what she was feeling after that bombing. But her husband said to her, it's your musician. And that's when she wrote Mississippi Goddamn. And that's what we all have. We all have to do our Mississippi Goddamn. And what I mean by that is we all have to find the the thing that we are capable of, what our gift is, and use it to the best of our abilities to bring about justice. Um, and to bring about change in this world. And whatever that thing is, whether you you know, you tell jokes, whether you make art, whether you just run your mouth like me, like <laughs> whatever that thing is, you just have to do it and you have to do it as best you can. and as just uh, with with your heart in the right place, with your mind towards justice, and we have to we have to, to find that collective energy to, you know, to stay focused on on this, um, to 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 sustain a movement, because you know a moment is one thing, a movement is a completely different thing, and a movement changes this world.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. There's no voicemails or comments at the end of today's show, but please call in, leave your thoughts on the topic of this episode or anything you'd like at 202-999-3991, and we'll get to those in the next episode. Thanks again for listening. That's going to be it for today. Coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.
12: And it's a crying shame how we get so trained.
3: We can't see past our own sad stories and wonder what we're missing. We can't see past our own sad stories and forget how to listen. We can't see past our Sad stories and wonder what we'd do.